0: Love, talk, radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving Live. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. That's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's get this show on the road. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the program. We haven't done one of these for about uh, three weeks. Hope that you had a pleasant holiday. Now, of course, you're back at school and um, being reminded perhaps of why you needed a holiday in the first place, but um, well, maybe not. You know, I prepared a new intro for this program, but uh, once again, technologically challenged that I am, I don't know why they didn't play the new intro not that different, but, uh, well, maybe next time. Uh, These are your 45 minutes. Um, So if you are working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B, if you're running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, if you're having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in, uh, this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. If you decide you want to call in, once again, the call-in number is 646-727-2691. If you're not the type to call in um, but do have a question, you can always send a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalancev lives with a V, lives in the Um, You can ask a question that way too. Um, I'm learning that there's lots of folks who aren't necessarily all that eager to hear themselves and have others hear them as well. So there's a nice way to get it done if you have a question or need some support in working with a particular kid at your school. By the way, I should let you know I know that we've had many parents uh, joining in on this program as well. Um, Parents, you now have your own radio program. Um, It's every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, Same way of getting on. You go to the Lives in the Balance website. If that's how you've been doing it, click on the radio icon on the home page that'll take you to a um, program page for these uh, radio shows programs and um, it's a great way to uh, join in with issues specific to implementing collaborative problem solving at home Uh, so we now have two radio programs one uh, for uh, folks at school And, of course, parents, feel free to call in on that, but primarily regarding issues related to school. And, parents, you now have your own program starting January 5th, that's tomorrow, um, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Cool, eh? So here's what I thought we'd uh, start with today. Um, You know, it's not so easy getting... um, your colleagues on board with this at school. I thought that might not be a bad place to start. We haven't really uh, talked much about that issue uh, on this program, Um, but um, lots of people working in schools out there who are very enthusiastic about collaborative problem solving, very enthusiastic about the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, enthusiastic about doing Plan B themselves, and then they start to run into trouble um, very much in the same way that... uh, Mrs. Woods did in Lost at School, if you've read it, um, when colleagues are not necessarily along with the plan or on board with the program. Um, And quite frankly, I think uh, not something to get uh, too upset about. It's certainly something you want to work on uh, in your building. Different people come to challenging behavior with uh, very different perspectives about Uh, what gives rise to challenging behavior and what ought to be done about it. My experience, believe it or not, quite frankly, is that lots of folks have never actually given the matter an enormous amount of thought. And a lot of what people think about and how they respond to challenging kids uh, has a little bit to do at least with either how they were raised or how they raised their own kids. And I, I find that that happens in... School classrooms as well, and in the principal's office um, sometimes. Uh, how we were raised, what it was that we did when our own kids acted up, uh, does influence what we do with other people's kids when they're acting up in our classroom or in our school. Bottom line is a lot of this is mostly instinctive, and one of the nice things about collaborative problem solving is it gives. People an opportunity to actually start giving the matter some thought, two matters in particular. Why is this kid doing this? What what What's this kid's deal? And, of course, the answer to that question is going to lead us directly to what we ought to be doing about it. When I run into people who haven't given the matter a great deal of thought, how um, strongly they feel about Why they think a kid is challenging and what ought to be doing, what we ought to do about it, you know, that's that's a little unpredictable. Um, The the strength of their feelings, a little unpredictable. But quite frankly, I don't find that how strongly they feel about what they currently believe. I don't necessarily find that to be a major indicator of how they're going to feel about collaborative problem solving. If we can get them to listen about collaborative problem-solving a little bit and hear a little bit about the intervention ingredients that flow from the collaborative problem-solving way of thinking about challenging kids. The goal is to get people thinking about it. And yes, there are are going to potentially be some very strong initial reactions. You know, there's also going to be people uh, who are right on board almost immediately. But but even that, This is the interesting thing. People who are right on board immediately, sometimes the strength of them being right on board immediately, sometimes that's not necessarily a predictor of how strongly they're going to feel about collaborative problem solving a month from now. I think we need to get past people's initial reaction to collaborative problem solving. See if we can help people listen a little bit. And you know what's coming here the empathy step is going to be crucial along these lines. If somebody's having an initial reaction to collaborative problem solving, we want to find out what's up. We want to find out what their concerns are. Um, We want to find out what's troubling them about what they've heard. Often, when we ask what's up, We get the crucial information that we're looking for. Um, So what are some of the things that people, uh, what are people's initials reaction to Plan B to collaborative problem solving that we'd want to hear more about? Uh, Well, first of all, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here. First, let's think about how we want to introduce collaborative problem solving. One of the biggest mistakes I find that people make is they start talking about the model by talking about Plan B. That's not the best place to start. Plan B, and I've mentioned this in a few other programs before this one, Plan B comes off as awfully techniquey. It's sort of a hit-or-miss type of intervention. If we start with Plan B, the place to start is with helping people understand why challenging kids are challenging. And uh, there, some of the other programs, you've got lots of content, but I'll repeat it. Can't hear it often enough, people tell me. Challenging kids are challenging because they're lacking the skills not to be challenging. That's right, challenging kids are lacking crucial cognitive skills. If they had those skills, they wouldn't be challenging. And the generic domains in which those skills fall are flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, problem-solving. And, of course, if you're familiar with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, you know that there are numerous other skills that fall under the flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, and problem-solving umbrella. The way you help people start understanding challenging kids is by talking about lagging skills. Challenging kids lack crucial cognitive skills, This is a developmental delay. It's a learning disability of sorts. It requires the same level of understanding and compassion as any other learning disability. Kids who are having difficulty reading are having difficulty mastering the skills required for being proficient in reading. Kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges are lacking the skills to be proficient in handling life's social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. When do kids who are having difficulty reading mostly struggle and are being asked to read? When do kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges mostly struggle when the skills they're lacking are being demanded of them? I find that most people don't struggle a great deal with the developmental delay explanation of challenging behavior set forth by the collaborative problem-solving approach. I find that most people don't struggle with that. Um, There are many things that they may not yet recognize they probably aren't going to be saying anymore, so they may have some questions. Those questions sometimes sound like, you mean he's not doing this for attention? A good response. Well, I think if he could seek attention adaptively he would but seeking attention adaptively is a skill it's a skill he must be lacking because he's seeking attention maladaptively if he could seek attention adaptively he would seek attention adaptively seeking attention adaptively is always preferable to seeking attention maladaptively but only if the kid has the skills to pull it off doing well is always preferable to not doing well, but only if a kid has the skills to pull it off. You mean this isn't manipulative? Good manipulation requires some very important skills, forethought, planning, impulse control, organization skills this kid and most other challenging ones like him seem to be lacking. Uh, If you know he's being manipulative, then at the very least, he's not a very good manipulator. Uh, Good manipulation is when you don't know you're being manipulated. Incompetent manipulation is when you do. You mean he's not just trying to get his own way? Not any more than the rest of us would want to get our own way. Getting your own way adaptively requires skills. Skills this kid seems to be lacking, probably why he's getting his own way maladaptively. You mean he's not just trying to get us to give in? He's not just wanting it his way? Now, here's what I find about kids wanting it their way. Usually there's an adult on the other end of the interaction wanting it their way, too, often, It's not just the kid who wants his way, it's the adult that wants their way. And now this is a power struggle. If our mentality is, well, we're the adult, so it is our way, right? Well, that's what people could say if they want this kid to keep exhibiting challenging behavior. But if, and that's of course why we're thinking about this, if we want to help this kid, not exhibit challenging behavior anymore, then we probably ought to um, find a way for us to figure out what this kid's concerns are about not getting his way, What what concerns are not being addressed for him if the adults are always getting their way. How are we going to solve this problem collaboratively? You don't think another suspension is going to finally teach him the lesson? What lesson? How about another detention? What would that accomplish? He seems to have proven to us that no matter how often we give him detentions and suspensions, he's still inflexible, easily frustrated, and having trouble solving problems in suspensions and detentions Don't teach those skills, nor do suspensions and detentions solve the problems. As you know, in collaborative problem-solving, they're called unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating this kid's challenging episodes. I find, once again, that the developmental delay conceptualization of challenging behavior set forth by collaborative problem solving. That's not the hard part. And by the way, it's even more convincing if you have people then pull out a blank copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and go down the list. And it's inevitable, inevitable, that the challenging kid you're talking about is going to have a lot of items checked off in the lagging skill section. Convincing people that this kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills is not the hard part. I find that the hard part is the, well, now what are we going to do about it part. Now, here's the interesting thing. One of the ways in which people get confused about the model is they think that the skills that the kid is lacking are primarily going to have to be taught directly. Generally speaking, the skills the kid is lacking, and this is a very important point of confusion for many people, the skills that the kid is lacking are going to be taught indirectly through the ingredients brought into the mix by collaborative problem solving. In other words, by working on unsolved problems. So once we feel that we have people convinced Grudgingly, perhaps, but still convinced. This kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills. We then turn our attention to the second section of the ALSIP, the unsolved problems section, and identify these specific conditions, these specific situations in which this kid is exhibiting challenging behavior. During recess, during lunch, in the hallway, on the school bus, Beginning particular assignments, persisting on particular assignments, sitting next to a particular classmate, circle time. (coughs) When? With whom? Over what? Where? Is the kid exhibiting his challenging behavior? (coughs) It is under those, sorry, excuse me, it is under those conditions, it is those conditions that are demanding skills that the kid is clearly lacking. Let's figure out what they are, and we've just made this a very predictable kid. Once again, we're not to the hard part in the convincing territories yet. Yes, sometimes it can be hard to convince people about the lagging skills, but generally not once you've filled out the up with them. Uh, it usually becomes clear as day. This kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills. Then it becomes clear as day. He, um, those lagging skills are popping up in the conditions in which they're being demanded. And those conditions can be specified. They're very predictable. Once again, now comes the hard part. All right, what do we do next? Um, we do collaborative problem solving next. We apply the proactively apply the three ingredients of Plan B. Before we do that, we'd better explain to them that they have three options for solving problems. Plan A, and that's when you're solving a problem by imposing your will on a kid. And if you've heard me speak before or listened to one of these programs before, read The Explosive Child or Lost at School before, you know that imposing your will on a challenging kid often sets the stage for challenging episodes. That's right, regular old kids They can handle plan A, imposition of adult will. They're not happy about it, but they've got the skills to deal with it. Challenging kids don't. Plan A, having will imposed upon you, requires a lot of flexibility and adaptability, a lot of frustration tolerance, a lot of problem-solving skills. Challenging kids lack. You do plan A on a kid who's not a plan A responder because he's lagging skills. You've just place demands on this kid that have exceeded his capacity to respond adaptively, and he's going to respond maladaptively. Good for people to know about Plan C. That's when you're dropping a particular unsolved problem completely, at least for now. Now, let's clear up some misconceptions for folks there. Many people think that that means giving in, but giving in is when you start with Plan A and end up capitulating because the kid made your life miserable. Plan C is not capitulating. That's not what the C stands for. Plan C is, well, it should have been called Plan P, prioritizing. Uh, You know, you've got your list of unsolved problems, probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them. You know, the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating the kids' challenging episodes. Now we've got to solve them, but we're not going to be able to solve all nine or ten, six, seven, eight, nine, ten problems in one fell swoop. We're going to solve one, two, three at a time, which means some of them aren't going to get solved right now. They're going to be tabled, deferred, while we're working on the bigger fish. Plan C, generally speaking, Plan C holds the little fish, the problems we're not working on right now, while we're working on the big fish. All right. Plan B. You know, Plan B. I'm not going to go into great detail about Plan B because we've talked about it extensively in some of the other programs. Plan B is when you're doing collaborative problem solving, solving a problem collaboratively. Plan B is three ingredients, getting the kid's concern or perspective on the table, getting your concern or perspective on the table, brainstorming solutions that will address both concerns, Now people who are resistant to collaborative problem-solving, people who don't necessarily come along for the ride right away, now life's starting to get interesting because now, um, well, collaborative problem-solving is, number one, new for a lot of people. Collaborative problem-solving is scary for a lot of people because it's new. Collaborative problem-solving requires new skills. The empathy step requires new skills for a lot of folks. There's, there's a lot of empathic people out there, but, boy, drilling. Drilling in the empathy step, that's hard. Getting your concern on the table, hard, especially if you're accustomed to getting your solution on the table trying to work towards solutions that are realistic and mutually, mutually satisfactory, the concerns of both parties need to be addressed. This is hard. This is hard for a lot of folks. So now they may be resisting. They, first of all, may not comprehend that Plan B is the most important part of the model, not Plan C. Some people stop listening when they hear about Plan C. They hear about Plan C, they hear that there's some problems they're not talking about right now, and immediately jump to the conclusion that their worst fear is about to be realized. We're about to start letting the kid do whatever he wants. We're about to start letting the inmates run the asylum, as it's sometimes said. Not my favorite expression. Um, No, we're not. The concerns that you were trying to get addressed with Plan A, now they're going to get addressed with Plan B. Rather than imposing our will on this kid, something that hasn't worked and is unlikely to work, instead of using that as our method for solving problems, we're going to see if we can solve problems with this kid another way. In a way that actually might get the problem solved, in a way that, would actually engage the kid in the process in a way that would help us understanding perhaps for the first time what this kid's concern or perspective is on this unsolved problem that's been causing all this challenging behavior for a very long time. But don't worry, your concern is still going to be addressed. The concern that led you into plan A That that exact same concern will lead you into plan B. It'll get addressed with plan B. With plan A, you're starting with your concern and usually ending with your solution. In plan B, you're starting with the kid's concern, then yours, then coming up with a solution that's realistic and mutually satisfactory. That's... An important point to clarify for people, collaborative problem-solving isn't mostly about Plan C. Plan C is important for prioritizing purposes. Plan B is the main show. Don't worry. Your concerns will be addressed. Next concern, especially in school buildings but other places as well. All right, fine. But I don't have time to do this. mm mm-hmm. Think about how much time Plan A is taking. I uh, have a colleague in Maine who uh, has a colleague, so this is a third hand story, who actually wanted to test out the theory that Plan B saves time. So the colleague of the colleague used a stopwatch to time how much time Plan A was taking. Then, same stopwatch, how much time is Plan B taking? Uh, the only definitive study that I'm aware of on how Plan B saves time. Plan B saves time. And you don't need a stopwatch to know that. If we just imagine the amount of time we've been spending using Plan A. Uh, I haven't started yet talking about how much time the kid is out of class. That's another time factor, how much time the kid is out of school another time factor it's talking about time for adults spent dealing with the kid time in the principal's office time spent dealing with the fact that the class has been disrupted plan b never takes that much time so time is going to be another important concern other and by the way here's the uh, lots of folks get upset that their colleagues have concerns about collaborative problem solving as if well as if they're forgetting that even if collaborative problem solving came naturally to them it took them some time to get good at it and a lot of folks forget just how long it took them to get their head around the whole conceptual piece of collaborative problem solving in the first place um I've taught collaborative problem solving to many people. I'm very patient in helping people get their heads around collaborative problem solving. If they have concerns about it, that's actually a good sign. It's a sign that they are thinking about it, processing it, working it through, trying to imagine what it might look like in their classroom or in their school. Now we've knocked off two of the big concerns, um, chaos, time, another big one that often comes up. So if we don't, you know what's coming, if we don't uh, show this kid that we take this seriously, Uh, Isn't he going to think he can get away with what he's doing? Absolutely not. Plan B doesn't let anybody know that they can get away with what they're doing. That's what you're, remember, when you're introducing your concern and the define the problem step of Plan B, you are letting the kid know. And you don't really need to be harsh about this. He knew already, quite frankly, that you don't approve of his behavior. Plan B is very good at letting kids know we don't approve plan b is very good at letting kids know we got to get this problem solved we we this we can't keep going this way plan b is very good at that don't worry the kids going to know you disapprove of his behavior promise well then what about the other kids what if they don't see us and this is a big one the other kids don't see us taking Severe action against the transgressor, won't they think they can get away with it? No. Not that I've noticed. Um, The other kids are waiting for us to show that we know what we're doing. The other kids are waiting for us to show that we understand why this kid is doing what he's doing. When? Where? Over what? With whom? The other kids are waiting for us to show that we um, have the tools to reduce their classmates' challenging behavior. They're not waiting for us to show that we've got a bigger hammer than the one we used the last time. In fact, Quite frankly, I think they're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, they suspended him when he was in the first grade. They suspended him when he was in the third grade. They're still suspending him, and he's still exhibiting challenging behavior. When are the adults going to get on top of this? We've got nothing to prove to the other kids, and if you're worried that they'll start acting up, then if, if someone's worried that the other kids will start acting up, then then it's time to go back to the key theme of collaborative problem solving. Kids do well if they can. The well-behaved kids in the school aren't behaving themselves because of the over-the-top things we're doing to the challenging kids that aren't working in the first place. That's not why well-behaved kids are well-behaved Why do well-behaved kids behave themselves? Because they can. I don't meet many well-behaved kids who are impressed by the school discipline program, those rewards and punishments. I don't find that's why most well-behaved kids are behaving themselves. Um, Most well-behaved kids don't know that much about the school discipline program. It's not why they're behaving themselves. They are watching us very closely. The Compassion we show to a challenging kid models the compassion we hope they'll show. The understanding of a challenging kid that we adults show, that's the understanding that we then have the right to expect classmates to show each other. How we go about interacting with a challenging kid, that's how we can then expect classmates to go about interacting with that kid. If we understand, if we're doing collaborative problem-solving, watch the other kids do it, too. And now we've created a classroom with a few important key themes. This is not a tit-for-tat classroom. In our classroom, everyone gets what they need. In our classroom, we help each other. And now, and I'm off on a little bit of a tangent here, now you've set the stage for the most elegant form of collaborative problem solving that there is full class behavioral, full class collaborative problem solving but back to the original point we don't prove anything productive to the well behaved kids in the class if we're treating the challenging kid unreasonably inhumanely we're proving nothing except things we didn't want to be proving in the first place Another one, well, then, all right, what about the parents? the parents of the well behaved kids? They're going to call, they're gonna to wanna to know what we're doing so that the challenging behavior stops they're They're going to be telling us that we should be punishing that challenging kid um Well, I guess that's proof that we need to start spreading collaborative problem-solving outside of our school building. Just because parents of well-behaved kids want the pound of flesh doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Just because parents of well-behaved kids haven't actually had to give a whole lot of thought often to why a challenging kid is challenging, they've never been exposed to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, they didn't know that challenging behavior was a form of developmental delay. It's not something most folks, except those of us who deal with the challenging ones, have actually had to give a great deal of thought to. We'll forgive the parents of the well-behaved kids for being out of the loop on this, just like most folks are. As I've always said, uh, it's the parents of challenging kids who are the ones who have to give thought to why challenging kids are challenging and give thought to why what's working with other kids, either their own or somebody else's, isn't working with theirs. Parents of well-behaved kids often don't have to give that as much thought. Their kid isn't tearing the house apart. Parents of challenging kids can't get away with not thinking about it. Otherwise, their house will get torn apart. Teachers of challenging kids, hard to get away with not thinking about it, too. It's just that sometimes the school discipline program gives us an easy out. But collaborative problem solving makes us think about it. I think a good ant, collaborative problem solving makes us think about challenging kids, why they're challenging. Collaborative problem-solving, if you've read the most recent entry of the real world uh, on the Lives in the Balance website, collaborative problem-solving forces us to think about – I don't like the word forces. Collaborative problem-solving gives us an opportunity to think about all the kids, all the challenging ones who are at risk for falling through the cracks – if we keep thinking what we've been thinking and doing what we've been doing. The way we've always done it isn't getting the job done for challenging kids. Probably time to start thinking about what'll get the job done instead. I think if we let parents know parents of the well-behaved kids who are calling and letting us know they're worried about what's going on in our building if we let them know. Number one, we know about it. Sometimes I tell the story about when my daughter was in preschool and a kid sat on her head. And she calmly announced this to me as I was driving her home from preschool that this kid had sat on her head. And of course, at that point, I was no longer Dr. Ross Green. I was Ross Green, my daughter's dad. So steam started coming out of my ears. And I called the school and talked to the preschool teacher. And, of course, what I discovered during that phone conversation is what I mostly wanted to know was, at first at least, was that they knew about it. We know about it. Not only that, we're on top of it. And we are working with this student to try to make sure that head-sitting, screaming, spitting, kicking, hitting, swearing, destroying, running doesn't happen anymore. We understand that it occurs in response to specific unsolved problems, and we are working with that student to try to solve those problems so that he or she doesn't exhibit those behaviors anymore. And We've discovered the hard way that suspending him and giving him detentions and depriving him of recess wasn't getting the job done. I don't think um, we ought to do what parents think we ought to do if we're pretty convinced it's not going to work. Rewarding and punishing doesn't solve any of the problems durably that are reliably and predictably setting the stage for challenging behavior and challenging kids. Uh, Rewarding and punishing doesn't teach challenging kids any of the skills that they're lacking. Why would we want to do that? One last, of course I could go on, but there's only uh, about five minutes remaining in the program, One last thing people will sometimes, people who are being resistant, once again, I don't judge people for being resistant to a new idea. You know, we think what we think. We have our beliefs. Collaborative problem-solving challenges many well-established beliefs. Why am I comfortable challenging those beliefs? Because I think that the research on kids' brains over the last 30 years provide some very compelling evidence for the fact that kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges are lacking crucial cognitive skills. My mission, of course, is to make sure everybody knows that, but I'm aware of the fact that not everybody already does know that, and so uh, no judgments involved when people are resistant. I'm just asking myself, what information are they lacking? What are their concerns about what they're hearing? And once again, uh, it's worth repeating, their concerns tell me they're thinking about it. That's a good thing. They're digesting it. Good thing. They're sorting it through. Good thing. They're trying to imagine what it would look like. All good things. We don't want to be any more dismissive of adult concerns about collaborative problem solving. Then we'd want to be about a kid's concern about an unsolved problem that's precipitating his challenging behavior. People get to own their concerns, and if we're trying to help somebody come along, it's incumbent upon us to take their concerns seriously and take the time to figure out what they are. So uh, last thing that sometimes people will say is, this is not my area. It's not my expertise. This is the domain of the mental health profession. I couldn't disagree more. Challenging kids are everybody's job and you don't need mental health training to fill out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Figure out what a kid's lagging skills are. Figure out what a kid's unsolved problems are. You don't need a mental health degree to get good at collaborative problem solving. Plan B. Don't need a mental health degree to know the difference between plans A, B, and C. This radio program is to help people do Plan B well and give you the support that you need. So in preparation for next week, think about perhaps a colleague in your building who is a little resistant to the idea of collaborative problem solving or maybe a lot resistant Think about maybe in one of the meetings that you've had in which you were talking about a challenging kid, if you ran into trouble filling out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Think about a kid who you're trying Plan B with, but you're running into trouble. Next week, call and let's talk about it. Just want to remind you, once again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the program as well, but... Worth mentioning here, parents, you've got your own radio program now, starting tomorrow, January 5th, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Collaborative Problem Solving at Home has its uh, debut. See if I can master the technology for that one a little bit better. Um, But we're back again next week. By the way, we will not be having a program on Martin Luther King Day. That's January 18th. But we're on again next week january 11th hope you'll join in and i hope lots of you parents will listen in tomorrow take care